Father in heaven, we're grateful to be here. We thank you. We praise you. Uh, you've given us life today, and more than that, you've given us a burden. There are people around us going to hell, and we want to see that reversed. There are people around us who don't know you, people who would go to heaven if only they had at their hands what we have in ours. So bless us now. We're talking about a very important component of sharing the word of God, and so we ask your blessing, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Powerful evangelistic preaching. I'm not very interested in just evangelistic preaching. I am very interested in powerful evangelistic preaching. As a matter of fact, you're going to see some, I should have said this last night, you see a lot of principles that bleed over from the evangelistic meeting to the prayer meeting or Sabbath morning. I think, honestly, I'll just be very candid, I think there is no excuse for bad preaching in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. No excuse. Um, um, because we have this. We have this. If, if you can't... Um, I know I'm going to spend the entire time being distracted, uh, but maybe there's some maybe there are some things to find up side roads. I was a full-time public evangelist and then became a, a local church pastor, and then I realized, whoa, I can't preach the same 25 sermons over and over and over again. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fascinating. What do I do now? And then I thought about my preaching calendar. I never did put together a preaching calendar. I think it's okay to do that, but I never did. Uh, I, I kind of bit it off as I went. And I thought to myself, what shall I preach? I thought this was an idea that I borrowed from somebody else. By the way, in preaching, feel free to borrow. You really ought to credit if you borrow somehow. Don't get up to preach a sermon as though it's all yours and, and there's a good chance somebody heard it on Audioverse. You know, that's not going to fly too high. Thank you, yeah. Um, but borrow, for goodness sake. And if you're preaching a first evangelistic series, do everyone a favor, do not write your own sermons. Because you have very accomplished evangelists who have been doing this for decades. Just use theirs word for word. You know, you, you, you cannot say then, if you're African-American, well, when I was growing up in Latvia, you know, you're going to have to make some changes. You know what I mean? You know, my dad might have been in the military. I don't know, but you know, you know. So there's some things you need to change, some, some illustrations that won't work for you because they don't work for you, but, but just use them, use, use other people's sermons. So I thought to myself, what am I going to preach about? This is now, we're going to bounce probably frustratingly between public evangelistic preaching and local church preaching. Uh, I don't know if every one of us here is going to ever preach a series of meetings, but I mean, if it goes the way it's supposed to, every one of us is going to get up in church and say something at some stage even if that's prayer meeting. So I thought, what do I do? Well, somebody had a prophecy Sabbath in their church, and I don't know how often they had it, but I said, that's what I'll do. We are a people of prophecy. Every month, once a month, prophecy Sabbath. So that'll give me the opportunity to preach about what? Daniel, three angels' messages. What else? Uh, Isaiah 53, isn't that a prophecy? See, so, so prophecies can be the gospel. Uh, psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's, that's a messianic psalm, but I mean, I would say that's, that's prophetic. And so you've got Armageddon, you know, Mark of the Beast and, and all of that. So I said, great, once a month, prophecy. That'll take care of that. And then I thought, ah, oh, we have in our church 27 fundamental beliefs. I know it's now 28, but at the time it was 27. I said, why don't I just preach one of those a month? I'll get to the end, I'll just start again. It'll be two and a half years thereabouts. And I can go through the 27 fundamental beliefs. 
Brothers and sisters, I have this conviction, and that is that Adventists appreciate hearing Adventism preached. They do. That's what brought them in. That's why they're Adventists. Tell them what they know. They'll thank you. That people in our churches don't often hear sermons about the state of the dead, or about God, or about the second coming of Jesus. If, I mean, you may be blessed to hear those things from time to time, but typically you only hear about them in an evangelistic series. So I thought, that, that's two Sabbaths a month. Third Sabbath a month, what do I do? Well, January, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. February, uh, Valentine's Day. March, what, is it Mother's Day or something? When's Mother's Day? <laughs> that's when? Yeah, St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Let's start, start that sermon with a, with a Gregorian chant and a pint of Guinness. Uh, Patrick's Day. St. Patrick, we were just in Ireland doing a program about St. Patrick, which will be part of our 500 series later on this year. Uh, Patrick was not Irish. He was English. And he, if he was Catholic, that's really debatable. He was not Roman Catholic. He's certainly a Protestant, uh, certainly a fellow with, with strong Protestant leanings. So, you know, maybe, you know, frankly, from that angle, St. Patrick's, that would be good to use. And so you've got Mother's Day and Father's Day and the 4th of July and... and Armed Forces Day and Memorial Day and Christmas Day and Thanksgiving. You've got to preach about You don't have to, but there's a, there, there, there are some sermon options. And that left me basically a sermon a month to do whatever I wanted, whatever I felt like the Lord was leading me to preach. So when you, when you start with material like that, and you may debate the, the usefulness of some of those days, uh, when you start there... It's very hard to preach bad sermons. It's very, very hard. Because what does the preacher really sit out to do when he or she stands up with, with the Bible? Our aim as preachers is to let the Bible speak. Right? Let the Bible speak. If we are getting up and telling people what we think about the Bible, then I say this with kindness, we are, well, we are like the, the Christians that we look askance at because we believe they are trying to make the Bible say what they want it to say. And lots of, lots of our own people do the same thing. Uh, but largely because they typically come to uh, the right conclusion, we let them go. And by the way, I don't know if, I'll have it, if the notes will let me say this or not. For goodness sake, when you stand up to preach, you don't, you don't have to be clever. You just don't. You don't have to have people admire you. You don't need to be original. When I, when I would go to churches as a local church pastor and, and and God knows I, I, I want to be able to do that again one day. I'll stand up before the congregation and say, if you hear me say anything that you don't already know, it's evidence that there's something wrong either with you or me. We are there just to tell people the old, old story. That's all we're there to do. But let's get back to evangelistic preaching. God has called you. He has. Um, Somebody described preaching as being truth through personality. That's why when you get up to speak, you don't need to be C.D. Brooks. You need to be you. You don't need to be the local church pastor. You need to be you. There are certain things that you need to do that most preachers do, but just be you. If you are quiet, that's okay. If you are boisterous, that's okay too. If you're quiet, you may need to learn how to be a little more boisterous. If you're boisterous, you may need to learn how to be a little more quiet. Um, I, I have a friend whose name I should not tell you, and so I won't. 
and he says that he is a terrible preacher. That's what he says. And, and in all honesty, you know, I don't know that he's wrong, to be honest with you. But everywhere he goes, he plants a church. Like everywhere. Uh, and and, he, and he, they never send him off to the church growth people to learn the latest cool methods for church planting. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You're saying he just goes and plants a church. And the church is last. Uh, he's an outstanding preacher because he gets up and he preaches the Bible. He gets up and tells people what's in the Bible and, and expounds upon it a little bit and points people to Christ. By the way, that's another thing we must do in an evangelistic preaching we must do. We must point people to Jesus. We must. We must. We must leave no people in any doubt at all that we are Christians. Um, it shouldn't be hard to do to convince people that we are Christians, but we must point people to Christ. Our sermons must not be as dry as the hills of Gilboa. You can do a fantastic expose on the seven last plagues, but if, I, if you haven't taken me at least to the shadow of the cross, if you haven't pointed me to Jesus, if you've not shown me that Jesus is the hope of the world, you've missed the point. Let me tell you this. Jesus said, feed my sheep. He did not say, feed my giraffes. We have too many people feeding giraffes. The people who have got all their theology in a row, great, great. And, and, and let's keep that up. But in every congregation, there's some struggling soul. There's some poor fellow or some poor lady who's making a mess of their life right now and they need hope. You know that in our churches, we've got families falling apart. Families comprised of good people too, not all knuckleheads, but people who are kind of solid and kind of together, but life gets away on them and, and mistakes happen and people make decisions and families are falling apart and children are going off the rails and people are, are experiencing defeats and, and, and so forth. Point him to Jesus. He is the one. God has given you a unique voice. He is a very important point. He has given you a powerful testimony no one else can claim. Your story is your story, and that is important. And in addition, God has given you a message of salvation to spread to the ends of the earth. And that's important. I said this last night. I'll say it again before I'm done. Our message is a message of hope in Christ. Isn't it? Now, we're right about the state of the dead and about hellfire and about health reform and about the mark of the beast, and we're right about that. But as we present those, it's got to be in the context of hope and salvation in Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind and that will take you far. Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, teaching, doctrine. The King James says, doctrine, the word here is teaching in some certain circles. And this might always have been true. There is a de-emphasis on doctrine. I don't like it. I don't like it. So you can preach a revival series seven nights and the message is come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And you might have some people come to Jesus and that's great. That's great. So you've replicated Billy Graham. That's great. And what Billy Graham does is he says, go find a good Bible-believing church and good luck with that. I think there's a place for that. I do. I mean, I'm not going to reach those folks and probably you're not and there are more people in the world than Seventh-day Adventists can get to right now. So I'm fine with Billy Graham doing it. I'm not fine with you doing it. Unless, of course, there's a real solid follow-up that takes those people and gets them into a groove of growth. Um, there's doctrine. I was in one part of the world that, that would surprise you, 
And the people were literally, literally, and not all of them, but many of them sitting on the edge of their seats, leaning forward, head in hand or, or hands down, they're leaning forward. I was really surprised. Then during the week, the church got more and more full. We started full and we became more full. And I just kind of expected that was the way to go. My translator, um, uh, Pastor Robert Costa, who leads Escrito a star for us at It Is Written and is also the evangelism fellow at the General Conference, told me that this was not typical. I couldn't believe it. He said, most of these people have never heard these messages before. I said, ah, but wait, they do evangelism here all the time. He said, yes, but it's come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He said, the reason that the, the congregation size is growing is because you're teaching them the doctrines of the Bible. They've not heard these things before. So the, another reason that we should teach the doctrines, that's where people have questions. Lots and lots of questions. People want to know what happens when you die. People are very confused, and you understand confusion on that can lead people all the way to witchcraft, and frequently has. We must share with people the principles of health reform. We must. We absolutely must. We must help people to understand God's not an ogre or a tyrant, and therefore hellfire does not burn forever. People must know about the seven-day Sabbath. The primary reason isn't the fact that in the last days the Sabbath will be the main test, but that's a very good reason. Uh, even if that was the only reason, that would be a good reason. Uh, but what you do is you share these doctrinal teachings in the context of Christ. Uh, the fact that the dead sleep until the second coming of Jesus, okay, that's fine. But what's more important is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You point people to Christ, they're going to have less to argue about. Hellfire, he that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Even, even when you start talking about the mark of the beast, the primary question there isn't what day. The primary question there is complete reliance and on and a total surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what it's going to take in earth's last days. So all of our teachings can be very Christ-centered. Um, after the subject on uh, salvation, for me, for me, the most Christ-centered subject is the 2300 days. Because it starts with a prediction uh, essentially about Christ. You walk people down through the 70 weeks, it's all about Jesus. You get people down to the, to the judgment in 1844, that's what Jesus is doing to get people ready for the second coming of Jesus. The whole thing is Christ-centered from start to finish. If you can present the 2300 days and it's just a dry recitation of facts and figures, please go away, reconfigure and come back with the sermon, focus on Christ because that's where it is. I'll tell you this, and, and you may think, well, you're Christians, you'll give me the benefit of the doubt. I decided years ago that I did not care if someone came away from that sermon able to recite or regurgitate all of the facts and numbers and calculations that I shared with them. Because they can't. Did you? After your first presentation on the 2300 days, you went away from there going, oh my goodness, my head is spinning slightly. But here's what I want people to know. I want people to know that there is a judgment going on now and that Jesus is for you and not against you. I want people to know that without Jesus in the judgment, there is no hope. And with Jesus, there is great hope. And the judgment's going on now. We'll tell them some other things. They'll get material to take home. My expectation is that when they come to the church, they're going to learn this deep and wide, deep and wide. So, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I know I'm limited for time and I'm, 
burning up some of my time talking about other issues, but uh, my point is, if you were to focus just a little less on Leviticus 16 and a little more on Jesus, far greater success, far greater success. I hope you hear me in the way that I hope to be heard because I don't have time to, to, to defend myself from uh, all of the stuff I'm leaving myself open to. The time will come when they will not endure and they'll not be able to endure sound doctrine and so on. So now, here are, some, here are some principles that you will be well served to keep in mind. Number one, preach with conviction. Preach like you believe in what you are preaching. This is what kills us on Sabbath morning. Too many sermons where preachers preach as though they don't really believe in what they're teaching or as though they don't really believe it's the difference between life and death. This book is the difference between life and death, eternal life and eternal death. And there are sinners in the congregation every single solitary week. We ought to be looking as preachers at hitting the ball out of the park. Absolutely. Uh, and again, I want to say this. You can be a quiet sort of a soul, and as long as you're not mumbling, if you know it, if you would preach with conviction, you don't have to be. Every sermon should be dynamic. But dynamic doesn't always mean, you know, standing on top of the pulpit and, and stamping your foot. It, it, dynamic can be quiet. Where the Holy Spirit is working, there is dynamism. Anyhow, I, I don't know if we say this. I need to say this. But pr before you preach, pray. Pray that God will work. God wants to work. God wants to use you. God will use you. The preacher is only a vessel for God to speak through. So before preaching, pray. What we present is the most powerful, life-changing message in the history of the world. It is. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is the remnant church. It just is. We have God's end-time message. We have what everybody needs to hear. When God has given you a venue to preach, then preach. Be sure you make Christ the center, as we said a moment ago irrespective of the topic under consideration. If you're not sure how Jesus fits into Armageddon in the seven last place, go find out. He does. He is right there. If you're not sure how Jesus fits into a, a, a presentation about the Antichrist, then, then figure it out. It's right there and you should know. Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ ascended into the heavens, Christ coming again should so often, sorry, should so soften, gladden, and fill the mind of the minister, notice that, should affect us first, that he will present the truths of the people to the people in love and deep earnestness. The minister will then be lost sight of, and Jesus will be made manifest. Lift up Jesus, you that teach the people. Lift him up in sermon and song and prayer. Let all your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost to the Lamb of God. How does Jesus fit into the message of Daniel 2? He reveals the future to his children. What about the law? The Ten Commandments are a transcript of his character. I will take this just a little bit further. I would say that when you preach, you've got to do everything you can to present your messages in the context of righteousness by faith. I will tell you something for nothing. Too many of our sermons have been works-oriented. That is, when you... And I'll tell you what. 
You tell someone the Ten Commandments are of God and you should keep them. What have you just done? You've, you've baptized that person into legalism. No one can keep the Ten Commandments. No, you can't. I can't. No one can. It can only happen as Jesus lives his life in us. Then the law can be obeyed, not by you keeping them, but by you being surrendered to Jesus. So as you present the law, you present not only the law, but you present grace as well. The, the law, any subject of the law should leave a person feeling rather hopeless to begin with because they know they cannot pull this off. And then you tell them, but with Jesus in your life, I can do how many things? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Now the focus is on Jesus Christ. And you made it a righteousness by faith oriented sermon consistent with what Ellen White said when she said the third angel's message is the message of justification by faith in verity. The Sabbath, man, God made it for you. It was Christ's idea. He wants you to rest in his finished work. And uh, uh, what do we say here? I should just read it off the screen. He wants to spend time with us, Christ and us together. And that's, that's the gospel. The state of the dead, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Hellfire, the character of God. He that hath the Son hath life. The health message, God wants you to live forever. Jesus wants the very, very best for you. He loves us and wants health and strength for us. This is important when you preach. Determine the main point. What is it you're really trying to say? Sometimes it seems there are several main points, but even if that's the truth, it should come under some overarching main point. A Sabbath morning sermon, what are you trying to say? What's your point? If you can't get at it clearly, go away and figure it out until you can say, here it is. This is the point I'm trying to present. And essentially, you present the same point multiple times from varying angles, if you like. Or there's a thread that runs through your, 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 your preaching. Sabbath morning, let me, let me do one of these. Um, I don't mind how you preach. Oh, there is a school of thought. Somebody came to me, had been taught in a, uh, one of our colleges or something. So, Pastor, do you memorize your sermons? Why do you ask? Oh, we're being told by our professors that we should memorize our sermons. Now, if you memorize your sermons, God bless you. That's all right. But if you do, then you've got too much time on your hands. <laughs> Who's got time to memorize their sermons? What in the world? I was too busy visiting my church members. Be sitting around half a day memorizing a sermon. My goodness. Now, again, if you do it, great. If that's your style, fine. Fine. Would to God I had as much time as you had. Um, it doesn't matter whether you have a... I, I preach from a manuscript, typically. Now, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. I never knew. I never knew until I heard him preach that C.D. Brooks... Imagine C.D. preaching. Don't you see, don't you see him walking over here, shaking his fists in the air... Don't, don't, don't you see him doing the Tiger Woods? Don't you see him imploring people the way he preached? He preached like this. Feet anchored to the floor, reading his notes. Who knew? I never knew until I saw him for myself. Boy, oh boy. Uh, greatest preacher I ever heard. Uh, so if, you, if you have a manuscript, just don't make it sound as though you are reading all your notes. You can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, illustrations, you're telling a story about a, a, a boy who lost a dog. You need to know that story. Just tell that story. Tell that story. 
if you want to have a, thank you, if you want to have a, making you nervous, yeah, if, 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 you want to, if you want to preach from an outline, whatever works for you, that's my advice to you, whatever, I know it works for me, whatever works for you. Um, I hope I made that point. Use an interesting introduction. Once in a great while, I will say, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me in your Bible too. Once in a great while. The reason I do that is just to confuse people. Just to change them up. Change it up. Uh, I would always encourage you to use an interesting illustration to begin with. Where do you find illustrations? They're everywhere. If you're attending the nightly meetings, if you're attending these meetings, and you're interested in preaching, if you are a preacher, shame on you if you're not writing down every illustration that you hear. Just write them down. And now it's your illustration. Now again, it can't be when I was a boy in Latvia, unless, of course, you were a boy in Latvia. But, but even then you can say, I heard, I heard a fellow talking about when he was a boy in Latvia. You can do that. Uh, the news is filled with illustrations. What was the story? Oh, man, somebody in the car yesterday, Eve, told me the story that I swore I wouldn't forget. And silly me. You know, with a, with a phone, you can just leave a voice memo or, or type it on your phone. You've got it there all the time. What was the story? What, something about a, was it a lost dog? What was it? Oh, my goodness. I need to remember it. Uh, but there are, there are just great stories everywhere. In the news, uh, uh, there can be funny stories, oddball stories, um, Sermons that you hear, old Adventist books that you read, just grab illustrations. And, and, and you get better at using illustrations. You just do. You get better at it. What I'd encourage you to do is find someone that, that preaches well and uses illustrations well and listen and learn from that person how it's done. What I do on my computer is uh, I think I use Chrome as my browser. Not, not because I'm a Chrome fan, but it was there when I got it. And uh, when I find a new story that's interesting, I just bookmark it. I bookmark it. And then I'll go back through my bookmarks looking for interesting stories. I did worship at the office yesterday and I told the story of, an, of, a, of a European woman, a cyclist, who started a, a, a cycling race with 70 others across Australia from Fremantle or Perth to the steps of the Sydney Opera House. She got 1,150 kilometers, 70, uh, 700 miles into it. She got sick. Uh, face got puffy, her hands got puffy, she couldn't breathe, it was an allergic reaction. She hitchhiked back to Fremantle. Eight days after the race began, she started again. You know, the, the story for me, one of the lessons is don't quit, just don't quit. Keep on going. As a Christian, don't quit. Anyway, uh, there are stories everywhere. Bookmark them, keep them, write them down, listen to them. Evangelistic sermons are great for illustrations because evangelists typically use illustrations all the time. But I would encourage you to use an interesting introduction to begin your sermon. It gives the sermon a theme. Um, you want to write it last. Oh, maybe. There's a school of thought that says write it last so you know where the sermon, by then you know where the sermon is going and how you can set up this. That's true, I think. But if you're uh, dealing with a sermon about the state of the dead, then you know you grab a good death illustration. William Soroyan, he gave an interview to the Associated Press. He was a writer. He, he said, I always thought when it came to death, there would be an exception made in my case. Then he said, now what? 
Now what? There's a question, now what? Tonight we want to look at the now what? Now what? We're all going to die one day if Jesus doesn't come back. What happens? You've had that question. Everybody has. Open your Bible with me. Good illustration. You want to use powerful illustrations to shed light on your subject, to help people understand the unknown with the known. Illustrations. Tell you what, if you, if you already get this point, you're fine. But if you don't, you really need this. And there are many, many people who just don't use enough illustrations, or many who don't use any illustrations at all. You can take lofty concepts and bring them down to the level of the people listening. It's really important. Get them from your life. Think about, story. get them from history. I've been sitting up the front, literally, up the front before a presentation, not an evangelistic presentation, but uh, whether it's week of prayer or something. And I turned to my son and said, Jacob, I need a story from history about a guy who failed and then he tried again and he succeeded. And he'll think, yeah, I got it for you, Dad. <laughs> Thank you, boy. And I'm up there with my illustrations. Get them where you can. Get them from children. You know, some, pe <laughs> some people that have a child and it's like, yes, a tax deduction. Preachers have children and they say, yes, sermon illustrations. <laughs> any, past, any pastor with 10 children has got great sermons. You can be sure of that. Get it from magazines, from history, from the news. By the way, fact check your stories. Please, it's not hard to do. Go to Snopes.com, uh, verify. You know all the story about fake news? You know what I say? Serves you right. You're stupid enough to believe that Hillary Clinton was, was what was she doing out of the pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., running a child smuggling ring or something? If you're dumb enough to believe that, then the joke's on you, you know? <laughs> joke's on you. Uh, so, so for goodness sake, fact check. Otherwise, you get up, and I've heard it done in major evangelistic series, before people realized fact-checking was important. These breathtaking sermon illustrations that just aren't true. A friend of mine, oh, he got this sermon, or this illustration from a, well, I can't tell you, it's too well known. And he would preach it, and I said to him, man, that story was so good, I checked it out. It was so good. The story of, was it Harold Abrams, at Chariots of Fire, won the gold medal in the Olympic Games in Paris, wouldn't run on Sunday, and they put him in another race, and he ran and won a gold medal and set a world record, except he didn't set a world record. There was no world record. I checked. My friend was distraught. I won't use that. Won't use, no, dude, just don't say it was a world record. No, no, that ruins it. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm here to help. Powerful illustrations. Illustrations ought to be able to, ought to give people the opportunity to identify with someone. Take people to a place they can visualize. Last night I began talking about 390,000 soldiers hemmed in on three sides with the military advancing. It was all over. If you couldn't sense the tension in that, then you know, check for a pulse. And then it was this miraculous escape. Actions that grab attention and make a point. I would say this. Any illustration can be a good illustration just about you just got to know how to use it and where to use it and what point it makes. Uh, but it's important to illustrate. And if it seems like I've spent a little bit of time on that, I have because it is worth it. Now, no one likes this. I would say record yourself and listen back. 
Or I would say, find someone that you really like and respect and have them listen to you. Really, really, I would say, not your spouse. I mean, you, you may, if, if you have that, you know, if you have that level of confidence, but I would say that after the 10th correction, you'd be like, hey, that's enough, all right? <laughs> you know? And the next day, you're going to look at your spouse like, wow, that was mean. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Melissa can tell me what she wants. She's, uh, she's gracious and she's astute in her observations. But listen to yourself. You need to be able to step back and look dispassionately at yourself and find out if you're saying, um, I mean, if you're saying, uh, uh, like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, I say to my children, what were you like? What was it like? Like, you know, like, well, I have a friend who used to, he used to adjust his glasses and hike his belt. And, and, and the belt thing, he would, it would get off the ground like this. And I'd watch that belt. The belt hadn't moved and he's adjusting his belt. I go, your belt is fine. Leave the belt alone. Very distracting. People would take off their glasses and put their glasses back on. Take off their glasses and put their glasses back on. Um, be yourself. Be yourself. I tell you what, when it comes to preaching, the hardest thing in the world to learn is how to be yourself in public. That's difficult. Just feeling comfortable enough to be you. You learn that over time. But do beware of physical and verbal crutches. You shouldn't preach with your hands in your pockets. Now, if you put your hand in your pocket for a moment and then take it out, fine. But if you're walking around all night long like this, your father didn't teach you well. Uh, thumping your Bible? You should probably thump the pulpit, I suppose. Beware of pacing. <laughs> Ignore that one. <laughs> that's the only one, that's the only one. Yeah. no but really the point is well made you don't want to pace constantly you want to come out here and stop and talk and make a point and, 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 and wave your arms and then, and then move over here uh, I can't I'm not Italian but I, I can't preach by standing still and not using my hands I just can't do it um, which, that does not mean you need to be the same it means that you ought to be you ought to be you. Remember what preaching is, it's truth through personality. Let me add this, this is interesting about John when he preaches with a translator and uh, and then John moves, but he moves very deliberately. It's interesting to watch how the translator has to learn. And some of them take some learning. <laughs> to, to move with John. It's just that we had just this experience with Yes, Mongolia. we did. Yeah, we did. I would move. I was. I was moving to the left, and he stepped back so I could move over here. Like, <laughs> Come on! I'm moving. I said, "Walk, walk." So we moved. Walk, walk. Didn't translate that part. Um, so be careful about doing stuff nervously. By the way, worry just a little bit. We're telling you what not to do, but just go and make some mistakes. You know. Just don't be like, oh, I, and, and, and I get this. I've seen it being taught. Move like this, and then do this, and then look, and then move your right hand, and walk this way. I've seen that. Like, wow, the robot school of preaching. Just, just get up there and be yourself and learn from your mistakes. Say, honey, am I walking too much? Yes, yes, settle down. What do, what do you hear? I hear, ah, uh, um, ah, uh, oh, okay. Don't take it personally. Honestly, when it comes to preaching, you've got to check your ego at the door. 
you are on display. And uh, yeah. You say um, um a lot. How do you stop saying it? The thing to do if you say um and uh a lot and you want not to do it, the best thing to do is don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> just it. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, there's no. You just got to be. Once you become aware of it, then you'll know. I, I, Sometimes it is, and sometimes what it is, it's not quite knowing where you are in your notes, not being sure what you're going to say next. It just comes with polish. It just comes with time. Yes, ma'am. Well, would like doing it in front of the, uh, the mirror help? Maybe. It's not something I've ever done. Most important, become familiar with your notes. Know that. That's the most important thing. If you can share the message coherently, that's more important than I had my hand in my pocket five seconds too long. It's probably not a bad idea. In front of the mirror, not so much because you're going to be thinking about too many things at once. In front of somebody else. Okay, family, tonight I'm preaching two sermons and you're listening. And I need some feedback. Help me out here. That'll work. Just, to, just so that you've done it and you've had people critique and watch and then someone goes oh you got your hand in your pocket again oh i didn't notice oh that just happens so naturally the mirror yeah whatever works i know that's not a very helpful thing for me to say but if you try that and you say that was very helpful sure yeah i would absolutely record yourself my background is in radio and i did not like it but that we would record every single show everyone and then at random the boss would say we're sitting down to listen to this morning it was brutal, but it's, it's what you do so that you listen on yourself and you can go, oh, yes, I did say that. There are a lot of things that you'll do that you don't even know you're doing. You don't even know. So listening back is really very, very helpful. I would, I would get on the side. Don't tell a joke just to tell a joke. Some things are just plain funny. Share them. That's okay. Share an experience that was funny. Nothing wrong with that. I get a little concerned when people say, oh, I love your humor. I'm like, ah. Oh. I don't want you to love that. And so it makes me think again. Um, I came out of radio where I was a paid fool. I used to make people laugh for a living. I got into preaching and I said, oh, I've got to get right away from that. And it was really, I think, quite sterile. And then I thought, oh, I can loosen up. And I think the pendulum swung a little bit far the other way. Hopefully I'm, I'm in a happier place now. Um, there's an exception. And here's just my school of thought. You're preaching about, let's say... Uh, what, you, what the Bible says you may not eat. And you just realize there's some poor guy out there, you just taken away his, his, his hog, you just took away his catfish, you just took away his, his camel, you just took away his rabbits, and he's feeling lousy. Sometimes then it's good to let a little air out of the balloon. Just is. I wouldn't do that in a sermon on the mark of the beast. That's not a funny one. Uh, Daniel 2, there's, there's no need to like lighten that one up. It's a very positive up presentation. But sometimes you want to let the air out of the balloon. Still, if you see preaching as your opportunity to um, engage people and have people think you're brilliant and witty and entertaining, uh, you've missed your calling. There is a, uh, an a comedy club, an improv club down the road for that. You want to engage your audience. If it's just you speaking, hoping they get it, that's not so good. 
But it's okay to engage your audience. It's okay to ask a question, even if it's a rhetorical question. What I try to do, and what I've tried to do since I've been standing here, is make eye contact with every single person in the room, with everyone. Because you want people to feel like you're connecting with them. And people will say, oh, you spoke right to me. Even when you didn't, you know. Oh, you were preaching to me tonight. You, 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 you spoke right through me. And it's really easy because I just did it. Every last one of you. If you were looking, I looked you right in the eye. And it's important to do that because, because you're engaging people. You're connecting with people. And uh, preaching is a challenge in as much as you've got, to, you've got to earn people's trust. You've got to earn their respect. No political, no political jokes. I t- <laughs> yeah. No political jokes. Well, no political commentary. Keep away from it. Don't be, oh, I can't believe what this president is doing. That's not your place. I'll tell you this. There's too much politics and Adventism as it is. Keep it out. We are not to be political commentators. We have divinely inspired instruction on that. Button your lip. It's not your place to get up there and tell the world what you think of Trump or Clinton or Bernie Sanders or anybody else. Not your place. By the way, if God sets him up and tears him down, then if you're criticizing after the event, uh, then, then you, may have a, you may need to talk with God. Uh, you didn't hear me say God voted for them. I'm simply saying God allows what he allows. You've read the same passages in the Bible that I have. Don't make sexist comments. You just cannot. I would encourage you to say he and she as often as you can, as often as you can. You don't have to sound like a lefty, but when you are preaching, it's not really about what you believe. It's about meeting people where they are, you see. I learned a lesson very, very early on. First sermon in my evangelistic series was Signs of the Times, and I spoke about how homosexuality and its proliferation was a sign of the times. Felt like I was on safe ground. I was in Kentucky. There's a big audience. And a fellow who is still my friend to this day pulled me aside. He said, you know, my wife thinks that you're just about the best preacher she's ever heard. And I knew that was probably a lie. So he was just telling me something to butter me up before he lowered the boom. And he said, do you really need to make that comment about homosexuals? And I said, well, it fit the sermon. He said, yeah, but I don't know if you noticed there were a couple here tonight, a couple of women, and they were homosexuals. And they, were, they, they did not look happy about what you said. And I don't think they're coming back. They didn't come back. Uh, so what's the point of making that point early or even at all if you don't need to? You know what I mean? If you're going to make a comment that's likely to divide your congregation, do it late in the series, not on opening night. So there are some things that you just don't really need to say, and I hope that you'll have the wisdom to know that. Some things you do need to say. There will be some points you make that divide. Let it be. But be as wise as you possibly can about that. Uh, I, I mentioned this, didn't I? Look at people as you preach. You must. I remember being in a congregation and the church members came to me. Pastor, you've got to do something about our pastor. He never looks at us when he preaches. And he didn't. He would preach down the aisle, looking down the aisle at the door. Never, ever looked at anybody. Can you imagine as the pastor preaches and you're sitting where you're sitting and all the time he just preached looking right down and he would turn his head like this from time to time. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> and the church members were going out of their mind. I said, well, you tell them. I'm not going to tell them. You tell them. <laughs> Let your gaze travel around the congregation. If you are nervous, then look just above their heads. Look between two people. If you don't want to make eye contact, look between people. The rest of the people don't know. And these two think you're talking to the person behind them. But look at them. 
what I discover is that when I preach, I kind of have go-to places that I just, when I turn to the left, and so this poor sister, I'm preaching half my sermon to her, and this brother, I'm preaching half to him, and there are two in the back, they get a little bit, and the rest don't really, don't really know, but I just find that I tend, I don't know what it is. So, I intentionally mix it up. I've learned enough over the years to, to look around and feel more at home. Look around, engage, pause your gaze. But be careful, but be careful. You don't want to say, and there are some women who should be ashamed of themselves. Let my gaze pause. Sorry about that. You were just, you were just there. Yeah, yeah. Right in the eye. It doesn't matter. I look them in the eyes. If you're going to look in their forehead, you might as well look them in the eye. And from, from a distance, people can't tell. I have a friend, and uh, she's from a fascinating African culture. She never looks men in the eye. She's a physician who works for the UN in Geneva, Switzerland. Never. Now, I said, you look me in the eye all the time. She said, no, I don't. So I guess she's looking here or here or here or something. So you can get away with it and people don't even know. So it's up to you. But I would just as soon look people in the eye. Part of this is just confidence. But remember, when you get up to speak, you are there because God has put you there. You should be confident. God has given you a message. It's going to change someone's life. But I'm not a great preacher. Oh, yes, you are. You are a preacher and God's Spirit is working through you. It makes you a great preacher. I'm not a great orator. You may never be a great orator. It does not mean you may not be a great preacher. I think if you are here in this room, you can be, and as a matter of fact, you must be a great preacher. Someone who stands confidently, Bible in hand, and shares the Word of God and applies it. Great preacher. Mm -hmm. Amen. Eye contact. It's important. Come out from behind the pulpit. Draw closer to the audience. That's important. Speak from the heart. I don't know what more to tell you than that. You ought to be able to figure out what speaking from the heart means. It's important. And be approachable. Make yourself available to people. And if they have questions, part of preaching is fielding questions. That's what happens when you get out of the desk. And what happens outside of the desk, as Ellen White said, is by far more important than what happens behind the pulpit. People have questions. Don't fear their questions. If you don't know the answer, tell them. That's a great question. I, give me time to think about that. I'll get back to you. People will respect that. But be approachable. Be nice. If you're not nice, then you shouldn't be preaching. Be nice. Be approachable. And uh, you need to bring your sermon to a close. How much time do we have? Oh, we got all kinds of time. When you're finished sharing what you have to say, don't just keep on talking. It's, you know, the illustration is like the plane that comes into land. It's going, oh, it takes off again. Learn to land the plane, ma'am. I have a neighbor which is uh, cattle. Yes. And she wanted to convince me that it's my thing. So I see her, she read the Bible, she read the Bible. But she said that is the right thing to be careful. So I don't want to convince her anymore because I see she read the Bible. So I was visiting her yes. one day, and when I visited her, she was, her husband came. And she what said, time is it? I have such a good recipe for cake. 
And when he finished it, I said, I have a recipe, very good, from God. Give me the Bible, and this is my recipe, how to live. Sure. And when she heard that, she goes, yell like that because she read the Bible. And then when I went home, I see her calendar. And when I see her calendar, she said, I wanna, I wanna uh, see if I'm busy Tuesday. And I look at the calendar. I said, This is your calendar? She said, Yeah. I said, Oh, something's <laughs> And she said to me, She was again yelling. Be careful how you share. God gives you opportunities, and we are not called to convince, but we are called to share. And the Word of God does the convincing. You'd be amazed when you start to preach and all you do is share the Bible and people are moved because you let... Yes, He will. During your presentations, you can ask people to make small decisions. Um, I'd like to give you an illustration of that, but we're out of time. And I would encourage you to make an appeal every night. I didn't make one last night, even though it's not an evangelistic meeting. I should have, but I was out of time. Uh, we have to preach to the clock. Uh, and we have a hard ending. And I got finished with three seconds to go, which I thought was pretty good. Um, I thought I'd have a whole lot more time. But in uh, evangelistic meetings, you're going to get to the place where you appeal to people to be baptized, to make a decision to be baptized. So when you have the opportunity to make decisions along the way, you're preparing people or you're giving people the chance to say yes, 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 yes. One more yes is just easier to make when they've already declared numerous yeses. A final appeal each evening is essential, absolutely essential. The Holy Spirit is at work. When you lack preaching experience, it's hard to imagine that's the case. But the Holy Spirit is at work. He's convicting people of the truth. And, uh, and people who hear the truth want to respond to that truth in some way. So I, I remember preaching. It was Sabbath morning in a church. It was a regional day. And I should, there's two stories I should tell you. Lo okay, I'll tell them both. Long story short, I wasn't going to make an appeal. An altar call. I wasn't going to make an appeal. I'm preaching, I'm coming into land, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm coming in, I'm coming in. The Holy Spirit says, okay, make that appeal. Sure, I'll have people raise their hands. No, no, make an altar call. No, I'm not going to do it. Make an altar call. I can't do that because uh, it was some of the dynamics. Come back from the United States with a half-pie American accent and New Zealanders might think you're showing off. And you have this thing, the tall poppy syndrome in New Zealand. You've got to be careful that you don't look like you're better than anybody else. And, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yes, make the altar call. I said to God, as I'm preaching, I'm surprised I didn't come out. You just don't understand. I'm not making this altar call. And uh, it's not always easy to ascertain whether that's God or you, you know. At that time, somebody started playing the piano. I looked down and one of the visiting pastors was playing an appeal song and he looked up and nodded his head like that. <laughs> Called in reinforcements. Anyway, long story short, I, I made an appeal. A young woman was there. It's a great story. She, uh, she, her whole family had come in and gone out. And she was, she woke up, felt like she should go to church, so she brought her baby on her hip. And she said, when I saw you were preaching, I knew God had called me back, was calling me back. She came forward. 
And she said to me out the back, John, I'm going to pray for my whole family. God will bring them all back. I knew that was not going to happen. Uh, Fifteen years later, the young man she was married to was now a pastor. He was a Catholic at the time. He's now a pastor in the Adventist church. Uh, her brother is a school teacher in the Adventist church. Her other brother is a missionary. Uh, her parents who had split up and the dad had gone back to drinking, they'd been back together. He got off the booze. They're solid, 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 solid. What if I hadn't made the altar call? She certainly would not have... I mean, God would still work, but... Uh, another time I, I, I didn't make the appeal. Just I made, I made a different appeal. It was in the same, same building. And later on in the day, a woman, a friend of mine says, my daughter, I didn't know she had a daughter, was here today. She said to me, I wish he had made an altar call. I was ready to give my heart to Jesus. Always call for a decision. It doesn't have to be an altar call. When you make an altar call, don't worry that people aren't going to respond. I've made in my ministry, I don't know, two or three altar calls and nobody has moved. So what? You know? I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just there offering an invitation. If you make an altar call and nobody comes forward, doesn't mean that anybody failed. It just doesn't. And it all depends. You know, if you're a visiting speaker in, some, in, a, in another Seventh-day Adventist church and you make an altar call, there's a good chance no one's going to come forward. Uh, in an evangelistic series, someone will come. And if they don't, it's okay. You've done your job. You've done your job. When Jesus went, into, went to that Samaritan village and they said, we don't want you around here, is when they were going to call down the fire from heaven. And Jesus wasn't welcome. Did he fail? No, he didn't fail. Don't think about failure. And head for the exit. Say amen. We'll see you tomorrow night. Go to the exit and shake hands. You tell people, we are glad you are here. We look forward to seeing you. Um, interact with as many people as you can. It's really important that you do that. You want to be a human and a, and a help and an encouragement. That's vital. Are there any final points? Yes. The sermon, I, I reckon, ought to be between 45 and 60 minutes long. If you've gone an hour and a half, you've gone way too long. You just don't need to go that long. Um, there's no need to go that long. Some people are just verbose. Cut it off and get done in 60 minutes or less. Um, there's a great phrase among literature evangelists, among student LEs when I was one, cut the fat. When it comes to sharing your testimony, cut the fat, get straight to the point. Sometimes you can cut the fat. Here's what's interesting. Preach these evangelistic sermons in the United States, 50, 55 minutes. But you go overseas, right? Go to Moldova, go to Zimbabwe, someplace like that, and we're preaching with translators. Well, you can't double the length of a 55-minute sermon. You can't do that. You want to be done in an hour. So your sermon is going to be 25 to 30 minutes, double that, let's say, and then make an appeal, 55, 60 minutes. So I preach these short sermons overseas, and then you come to preach them again in the United States, you go, well, this kind of says it all. What, what more would I add? Then you say, what was I talking about when I was going so long? <laughs> if you can get the job done in 30 minutes, what do you need 60 for? Anyway, I'm sure those 30-minute sermons are, are, are a little thin, uh, but the truth is, in preaching, less is often more. You can assume some things. Um, You've got to know your, your crowd. If you go overseas and you preach in an evangelistic meeting, uh, for instance, in Mongolia, did I preach about the, the thief on the cross and the comma? No, no. People never even, never even heard of the thief on the cross. I didn't need to explain that. Did I need to get into 
uh, all of the rapture business. No, just tell them Jesus is coming back. They're happy to hear it. So think about, think about when, um, think about where you're preaching and what you're saying where. Location is really very important. Um, you can answer questions when visiting guests. You can have a question and answer time rather than fattening up your sermon and answering every last objection. Um, I, I don't deal with the witch of Endor in the context of the state of the dead during an evangelistic presentation. During questions and answers, yes. Uh, make your point and move on and don't get too terribly bogged down. Ask that the Holy Spirit bless your efforts. Someone once said, the harder I practice, the luckier I get. Work at this. Work at it. And give God much to bless. Follow the ten guidelines discussed. Who discussed the ten guidelines? Did you do that? Okay, but follow them anyway. They're very important. <laughs> That's important. I covered the 10 guidelines. I wasn't counting as I went. But practice. That's important. Work diligently and expect that God will bless you. I would say this. You can be a powerful preacher of the Word of God. It may be that a whole bunch of you are already. So that's good. And I know we've gone very quickly. I apologize for getting here late. I very nearly didn't get here at all. I made a last-minute decision to come. Um, well, uh, nah? thank Jacob. Yeah, he, he gets the blame. So we skipped through this pretty quickly. But if you'll take your Bible in your hand, get your notes, and, and preach your heart out, you'll be good. Now, now here's just a practical thing. Um, I preach from my iPad now. There's a reason for that. Um, one, I, I don't care to memorize my sermons. I just don't care to. Uh, it's okay for you to. I'm not going to. I don't need to. Uh, by the way, I, most of the sermons I preach, I pretty well know where I'm going and what I'm going to say. But I have a manuscript there. For me, it's safety. I get you know, 1,500 words into a 3,200-word sermon and lose my way. I don't need that. I need a guideline. But what I have here is an app called Notability. What I, what I do is I, I have my sermons, I save them as PDF files and then import them into Notability. Some of you have seen this type of thing before, so I'm not trying to wow you with my brilliance. I'm not a, a tech genius. But with Notability, what you can do is then go right into your notes and write notes on your notes. You can, you can get up here and say, you can write, let me give, make that a little fatter. You can write... Uh, uh, you could write on here cat story. So now you can, make, you, can, you can share the cat story here. There's something that you wanted to highlight and so you, you think this is a very important point and so you can highlight like that. Uh, or you look at your notes and you say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to make that point even though it's in my notes and so you just, you just cross it out. You don't, you don't have that to deal with anymore. For me, it's really very helpful. Notability. Yeah, that's what I use. I like it. And I'm, I'm not tech-oriented. Before, before I used to have the loose-leaf Bible with the sermon notes in the Bible. That's good. 
Because then your notes are with you. You can walk around and your notes are right there. That's good. As some of my friends put sticky notes inside their Bibles. That's good. Starts to get a little bit risky, but that's okay. I used to just have a, have a regular old Bible with an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and elastic. Pop my notes right in the middle. Kind of low tech. I, I don't suppose I've ever used anything less, uh, more effective than that. But then you get your pages sticking up and you, know, you don't need that. I, I think now people are okay with the idea of someone having an iPad in the pulpit. We're pretty used to it by now. The first time I ever saw a church elder read the scripture reading from an iPhone, I was, I was, I was uh, confused. <laughs> part of me wanted to feel outraged, and the other part of me said, it's a Bible he's reading from, it's just on a phone. But that's been a number of years now, and so we're just a little more comfortable with that. Most of the time, well, most of the time the iPad stays on the pulpit and nobody would even know that it's there. And the other thing too, some of us who are more visually challenged than we used to be, you know, you can, you can make it bigger. I like that. Make it bigger. And for me, for me, that's a real help. Yeah. Uh, practice, practice, practice. Yeah, you just do it. Ah, uh, prayer, prayer. Claim the promises. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Tell yourself that you are needed. I'm doing what, I'm doing what God has asked me to do. You know, it's not a performance, so you're not being critiqued and people aren't holding up scorecards with marks out of 10, but prayer and practice, prayer and practice, prayer and practice. And then, and then some, some psychological things. God has asked me to do this. You know, he told Joshua, don't be afraid of their faces. Claim those promises. But um, I, I'm, you know, speaking in public is, doesn't come naturally to me. Um, it, it just doesn't. I, I, I'd, but I, if I'm in public, I'd rather speak to 20,000 people than 10. Because when it's a vast crowd, there's just no accountability. When it's 10, I mean, this is really accountable here. A couple more quick questions, one and then two. Yeah, that's uh, iPad, Apple iPad. Yeah, yeah I'm, sh I'm sure they all basically do the same thing. One, two. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to crying in a moment. Yes, but again, that's practice. That's practice. Really, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get to a place where it's difficult to speak because it's, then it's difficult to be heard. Um, here's what I'll do. I'll answer the next question. We'll pray. Then if you've got to go to another presentation, go. And if you'd like to stay for more questions, then stay. Uh, crying in the pulpit. I mean, if something moves you, then you're moved. But some people have a happy knack of getting moved by about just about everything. And after a while, for me, I'm just, I'm just New Zealander enough that it just looks like fakery. And I'm like, get over it, man. You know, I, I, I don't need that type of manipulation. Again, if you're moved and it's genuine, people are going to know and perceive that. Well, God bless you. And people are praying for you because you spoke about something that really touches your heart. But if you're weeping every second sermon, you know, there's a little too much... Uh, what was that woman's name? Oh, man. Dennis Miller made an obscure reference to her when he was commentating in sport. The, the woman who wept. Um, no, 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 she's a literary figure. Um, it's probably a good thing that I don't remember. Who had a question back here? Yeah, brother. Yeah, okay. Well, let's pray. Shall we pray? And, uh, I'm 
Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to share your word. What we need more than anything is your Holy Spirit filling us and then an opportunity. So I pray for each of the preachers in this room. Give everyone the opportunity to stand with your word and sermon notes and boldly proclaim the gospel, lifting up Jesus and calling for decisions. Bless our efforts. Grant us grace to serve you and to see you work with power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.